Hi, welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast, where we discuss how millions of people solve their addiction and move on with their lives. I'm Michelle Dunbar, Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and I wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions and the Freedom Model for the Family. We have been researching addiction and helping people move past it for more than 30 years. In today's podcast episode, Mark and I are going to give you a little bit of the history of the freedom model and uh, and our journey out of, you know, moving past recovery. We're very happy to offer various ways you can learn the freedom model. You can get a free digital copy of our books at thefreedommodel.org. Enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout. We also offer a low-cost online video course called the Freedom Model Online Program. And there are two ways you can work one-on-one with a certified freedom model instructor. The first is through Freedom Model Private Instruction, which is via video conference. Or you can come to our beautiful, completely private St. Jude Retreat. You can get information about all of these options at thefreedommodel.org. So, yeah, we, we were talking on our way back from lunch today about, um, you know, our our history of how we kind of walked out of that whole addiction recovery cult mythology because at one point we were, you know, we, were, we lived it. I remember... There's there's a uh, the the real crux of the story is the idea that you can't be all things to all people mm. and stand for something, and when it comes to leaving leaving a cult, um, it's uh, it's you, you either do it or you don't. Yeah, and um, it's uh, it was a painful painful process but it was also invigorating it was exciting at points it was really painful and uh, you felt very alone um, especially because AA was such a big part of our collective lives when you let that go all of a sudden you you feel a little bit alone but I want to tell a little bit of my history and why I think I was the person that was able to do it for myself Um, I when I was a kid, and I was just thinking about this, this was just running through my head, you know, where did I get the courage to not care what people think? Because that's what it takes to make social change and stand for something. And I can tell you that it started when I was seven years old, and I was really picked on in my neighborhood, and my family wasn't very close, and I didn't have any defenders. So I quickly realized that I could either assimilate into this crowd or I could just be myself and be alone and deal with conflict, which is what I was forced to do for years, years. Every time I got on the bus, I get slapped around. I was picked on. I was, I was alone. And somewhere inside of myself, um, strength grew. Now, I wasn't a very – I was a tiny kid. I was kind of sickly. Um, I was scared a lot. But, but I kind of held true to who I was. Now, for a little while in my teens, when I was drinking heavily and I became popular and I went in the direction of being all things to all people. So I switched my ethos somewhere. And that's where tremendous pain came in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I ran both sides of that fence. And what I realized in that sort of second half is God, you're at the mercy of everybody when you give in, you let go of yourself, what you believe in, 
and you try to make everybody like you. And yeah. my God, was that painful, you know? And so when I finally decided to stop drinking, I also decided to be a different person, the person I, that was really my values as a young child. And, uh, and being alone wasn't so scary because as a kid, I was always alone. And so, so it was, uh, I, I think you have to make a decision like that if you're going to stand for something. It really doesn't matter what it is, whether it's at your job or in your family or your social scene or your politics or whatever. If you're going to stand for something, you got to not give a shit what other people think. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a whole lot longer to figure that out, like years and years. And in the early years when when we were all pretty much still in AA, um, you know, we were we were saying some things that other people weren't already, and it made me so uncomfortable, and and I was so like worried about people not liking me, and um, that I just, you know, tried to be all things to all people. I tried to be agreeable. I tried to be like this pacifist and this person that just you know let whatever the situation, let it dictate me. And what my, the way I was going to react was, was I was basically kind of a chameleon, like whatever was going on around me, I would just kind of assimilate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it is it. So, so the goal when you do things like that is to not piss people off. Right. I wanted people to like me. I didn't want to piss people off. And it seemed to have the opposite effect yeah, because the, there's such a deep lack of respect from people when they f- smell blood in the water like that. Exactly. Fear. Because it's, yeah. it's always coming from a place of fear. And so so in the early years, as, uh, as Mark and my father were trying to kind of bust us out of that whole recovery world, the cult, um, you know, I, I was lagging behind because it was it, it terrified me. I think I want to give credit where it's due. I think the person that that showed me how to find my inner strength was your dad because as as wild as he was and as wrong as we were at so many things in those early years, he uh he was a contrarian by nature. So he, yeah, he was. He liked fighting. Like he relished being the contrarian, the one guy that he was supremely arrogant at times and would tell people basically to fuck off right to their face and had no qualms doing it. Now, it caused us a lot of problems too, but but I loved it. I loved that he wasn't scared. I've never met a guy who had less fear in the face of just where everybody was against him. He did not care. No, he that's just true. did not care. It was really hard being his daughter for that I'm reason. Sure, I'm sure it was. my dad was the almost the exact same way. Uh, so it's hard to be the kid of of a person like that, especially in a small town. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, it, people ask me like they're like, "Don't you ever see that show, Mom? That show, Mom, where the mom and the daughter are in AA together?" I'm like, "No," because I lived it. <laughs> 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 Absolutely not. Plus, I don't watch AA TV anyway. So yeah, I can't do it. The man. AA propaganda, I call it. Yeah, yeah, they've bought they've bought Hollywood. So, so when I 
you know how I met your dad. Let me tell the story because people will like this. Some of you who have listened to a lot of the podcast may have heard the story once or twice before. But um, when I went to a a meeting, I had a suicide attempt. And then I, that night, uh, obviously I didn't succeed in killing myself. Um, I survived it. And then I I went to an AA meeting out of just pure, utter and complete desperation um, because I knew it didn't work, but I, I didn't know what else to do. And I was there and there's this guy named Jerry and he said, hi, my name is Jerry. And he didn't say he was an alcoholic. He let there, he let it kind of hang. Hi, my name is Jerry. <laughs> and what, and it That's was, so dad. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was brilliant because what it did was it forced everybody uh, to listen, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden everybody was listening like, hey, he didn't say that. And and then he goes, I just want all of you to know that you're all completely full of shit. <laughs> right? That's, <laughs> That's what he said. so dad as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought at that time in my life, first of all, the meeting erupted into near violence at that point because everybody was supremely offended, um, as they should have been. Um, but I remember thinking, he's right. They are full of shit. And it was the first AA meeting of... I don't know, probably 50 or 100 that I've been to since I was a kid, where what somebody was saying I felt wasn't contrived or scripted. Or right. was, you know, I, I could read a room as a kid. It was very authentic. Good. Yes. And was real. Yeah. And I said, holy shit, that guy's got balls, you know? And so within two days of that, me and Jer had met. We had gone to a diner and talked. We became fast friends. And we became uh, business partners. Now, we didn't know that we we're going to be business partners. I was just a 19-year-old kid. But I had already asked him, can I be your research assistant? Because I found out that he was doing research on why people didn't make it in AA. And I was really interested in that because I was immersed in the cult since I was a kid. And I knew that it was a train wreck and that I was a train wreck because of it. So that, But that's all I knew. So um, we embarked on this thing. And I probably met you probably within five or six days of that oh my god really it was was, when when the intervention my my intervention (laughs) yes it was like two days two days before your intervention (laughs) i i i knew you were there but um yeah so so should i tell that story because it's a christmas story after all yeah yeah this is a christmas tale at the browns okay so this was it was 1989 and um, and I had left college. I think I had. Yeah, you bailed. I had bailed. Yeah, that was the year I totally bailed. Right, I didn't finish the semester. I just came home at Thanksgiving, and I never went back. And my sister was like, "Hey, let's." My father always gave us money. He always gave us money for Christmas, and I was a heavy substance user at the time. I was working, um, but my sister was like, "Let's let's go get our Christmas money, basically." So we, I pick, you know, we end up going to my dad's, and uh, she had come home from college for for Christmas, and we go to my dad's, and um, and. You know, I think I'm going to get my Christmas money. That's what I'm there for. I'm there for my money. <laughs> I'm not there to have a conversation. Or nothing. So anyways, we end up going into his room and uh, and all of a sudden they start talking. Like he and Kristen start talking to me about my drinking and drug using. And I'm horrified. 
I'm, you know, they both were like, well, we think you have a problem. And, and then my sister starts going into all of my promiscuous activity that she had witnessed as if, you know, somehow that makes me more of an addict or drug alcoholic. And um, well, suffice it to say, I didn't get my damn money. (laughs) And I left there bound and determined to drink myself to death. I was totally and utterly despondent. I was, if I wasn't suicidal when I walked in the door, I was when I left. And this is why I have for the last, you know, since that time, 32 years, told people whenever they're like, we're going to do a family intervention. I've said, that's a terrible idea. That's a really terrible idea. If you want to help somebody, um, the last thing you want to do is tell them what a piece of shit they are and how how judge them harshly to their face and make them think now they have nobody because exact, that's exactly what happened to me. And, um, and so I went another six months before I quit doing anything and um, almost drank myself to death. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I stopped drinking, it was, I got to that point where I was very, very sick. I had a, an ulcer and um, my stomach hurt continuously. And, uh, and I, when I quit drinking, I didn't, my grandfather had died in, in withdrawal and I didn't care if I died at that point. I'm like, I, I didn't have the balls to kill myself. Um, but, but I figured if I make it through this, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um, and so that's, so I ended up going to AA five days after I had quit drinking and only because I thought that's what I had to do. Yeah. And then, I, and then I watched you struggle for months. I, yeah. Months as, as you sort of wallowed between wanting to drink self-pity, depression, yeah. Uh, not sure how all this worked. And, uh, but and, I did do one thing right. And it was, I did, I did what I wanted in certain respects because I, as much as I cared about what people thought of me, I didn't really care that much that first year. That's true. Um, I did, I did not follow the advice. I got involved in a relationship within weeks. I went back to college. I was mm-hmm. told not to do that. I switched careers. Yeah. I mean, I everything you're not supposed to do in that first year, I did it all. Thank God. I think that saved my life. I think it did too. And I think that that with the exception of the relationship part, I think that your dad was pretty much all right with, because he was the leader of the band at that point, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us were just kind of following this older guy who, who was doing research. And we were just a bunch of kids at that point. And... Uh, he would he would advocate for moving on. Yeah, know? he would. He, he he did push. Yeah, he wasn't okay with the relationship. Yeah, <laughs> but other but than that, but, that's but a I'm dad. his daughter. Yeah, so. that's a dad thing with a daughter. Um, I think that that uh, he he did encourage us to go back to college when the rest of AA was like, no, yeah, no, know, oh my God, you're going back to college. You know, where everybody drinks, where the highest drinking rates exist. You know, and. And we, your dad totally encouraged us to get into physical fitness, sometimes even not, oh, go, yeah. to, not go to meetings, do other things. Um, we went to every concert at SPAC that year. Uh, so it was a completely different way. And, we did. and this we is did what all it, that stuff we did. And it, it attracted uh, another 36 people. That's right. In, into that, that original house, which was called the Baldwin House. Now, 
the theme of what we're talking about is not caring what other people think, right? Or or standing for something. Standing for something. So what we stood for in those days, in the early days, was being recovered, right? Yes. In the past tense. We still believed in recovery, but we believed you could be recovered. And that was really, I hear that in AA a lot where people say, well, we believe in being recovered. And I, 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 I sort of giggle because I'm like, you're That's on, where we were. Yeah, that you're on to something. If you can just follow that rabbit hole to where it leads, but most people don't. They stop there. Yeah. Because they they feel like the meetings are necessary. They feel like the big book has validity. They feel like there's some sort of mystical thing that happened with Bill W. and that God and Providence had they believe the bullshit. Okay. Yes. The, the stuff that that the marketing that Bill would sell and has become sort of Western cultural uh, mythology and but 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 spiritual sort of mysticism right and so they don't let go and they don't keep going down the rabbit hole the difference with us was we wanted to know the truth yeah and it was painful oh, because here's boy, why was it? it's wicked wicked painful to be in a cult and be stepping out over a long painful period of time because the cult then has the opportunity to destroy your life yes and because, boy do they try uh, yeah they came after jerry myself michelle uh and all the people that were around us and even the people we were helping because there was blood in the water and what i mean by that because we weren't secure in our own uh, uh model right because it hadn't been unequivocal yet we hadn't figured out that we could just throw out the whole damn baby bath water and bath the whole you know, thing. The whole thing. Could, we could have just chucked that day, but we weren't. We were living in two worlds. And my God, when you live in two worlds, boy, are you setting yourself up to be looking like you're weak. Yes. And uh, man, I'll tell you what. And I hear people all the time, you know, uh, they respond to podcasts or they send emails and they're in that deprogramming sort of space. Yeah. And I just wish I could take everybody, bring them here to the retreat because I can do it in three weeks. Right. You know? It's 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 such a, well, to stand out, to, to not go with, it, people have a need. Most people have a need to conform in some way, shape, or form. Even those of us that are kind of mavericks, on some level, we have to fight that, that, uh, I don't know, the urge to conform with everyone and not make waves. And, and for me, it was, that was the hardest part for me was to be part of this group of people. And, and when I know the truth about something, you know, I just, I, I can't live a lie anymore. I, I'm, I'm it, like, I'm unwilling, I'm incapable. Um, but at the same time, if I know the truth about something and it's not what the crowd is doing, then it creates this anxiety within me that I'm like, oh, I have to go live my truth and it's going to piss people off. And and I've had to overcome that over the years. I think you, you had something that was unique there and that was, well, let me back up. None of this would have happened. I wouldn't have done it without your dad. Right. So you grew up like I did with a father that was the maverick. Yes. The ultimate sort of in your face kind of don't give a shit kind of attitude my dad was exactly the same yeah. way as Jer. now my dad was uh less confrontational and more sarcastic 
and rude and and, and callous. Your dad was just flat out I aggressive. Will, yeah, I will fight you. Yeah, I'm gonna was... I'm gonna create the fight, and then I'm gonna win it. Yeah, and and I really don't think that people used to criticize us horribly because of his attitude that way, but he was the guy that was necessary to be the the bulkhead. Yeah. If if he didn't sit there and literally when when the state of New York did a campaign an ad campaign that said treatment works, Jerry's like let's get a bunch of billboards right across the street from them that says treatment doesn't work with our phone number on it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, are you fucking serious? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's crazy, dude. Ne- next thing I know, I'm in an 8-year lawsuit with the state of New York and which we won. Yeah. And, and you know, but but holy cow, talk about creating fights. Yeah. But it was necessary. Yeah. In order to pierce the propaganda machine, you had to have the balls. And you know what? We got criticized by so many people because they didn't have the balls to do it. They wanted to do it, but they didn't have the balls. And Jer had the balls. I mean, he did not care. And I was just there learning. And I was a fighter too, you know? So so I knew how to fight. And Christ, I was a boxer, (laughs) you know? So I I understood the the art of war. And, And then you came along. But I think that you had the anxiety because you grew up under that kind of conflict, and it's fun. well, and it was directed at me, yeah, more than uh, often, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as a kid, it's scary, yeah, it's you know, terrifying, right? And Jer wasn't my dad, you know what I mean? So I didn't have that history. But essentially, once you realized that this mission was taken off, right in the early years, you you were in with us, yeah, you were right there. I was, I was, but I, I can remember, you know, with every little, with every leap. Cause, Evo- the evolution? Yeah, every leap that we took that was out, right? When, so it was, it was once again Christmas time and now it's like 2002, okay? Yeah. And, and so now I'm working for, I'm working for Baldwin Research, which is our company full time. Um, and, uh, and we had had this group called, we, we had meetings still. We had a meeting structure of sorts. We had left AA years before, but we had done our own little experiment. Experiment. Which was a tragedy. Yeah, it, was it was terrible. terrible. And, um, and I say it was a tragedy and it was terrible, but, but it was all that we knew at yeah, that point in time. There was a certain security with it. Yeah. So my dad had been keeping all the data and he'd been doing all the research. And he announced to us uh, the week before Christmas, he's like, we're shutting down the fellowship. The fellowship and we're sending, uh, people can't stay here in he- and Hegeman. They have to go. And um, and we're going to basically announce it at Christmas. <laughs> Which, what well, what a better time for people to go home, right? Um, you know, we, we, the retreat was open and we just, we built a new program um called continuing education the following year but but it was i can remember being like the anxiety that i had that we were going to like not have meetings anymore because up until that point i had been to meetings for 12 years yeah yeah i remember i remember i but i remember thinking you were relieved i was i was ready man i was pushing for it i was too i was pushing for it behind the scenes i just had a less anxiety than you had but yeah you, you were just as dedicated it was just the anxiety level i just didn't care i i was 
well, I, it, I took so much bullshit from people at that point. I was kind of the, the lightning rod at that point. Jer was kind of retiring slowly. So I was in the midst of becoming the guy that had to fight everybody. And I was just so battle hardened by that point that I just didn't care. I was like, we're getting rid of this shit because it doesn't work. It doesn't work and it hurts people. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, and what we did from there is we had a few people stay in the area and stay on as volunteers. They were actually really hardworking people who wanted to help us, and one of them was Steven. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's that was... And Ryan. Steven and Ryan, and they... they stayed on and they volunteered and he basically told people if you're going to stay here it's to work um it's to take care of other people it's not so we can take care of you anymore that's right and then we got rid of the volunteer program they became employees and they either performed or they didn't exactly and we became a legitimate research institute i mean we always were but at that point it was no longer this chaotic sort of social experiment it was it once- was we have a solution yeah and and we're going to 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 put it on paper and that was really and we were doing all the the research was happening where I think 2003 was the first year we had an outside research organization do our uh success rate analysis our success rate analysis that was so there was three of those uh throughout um in the about the 10 years that followed and um and it was we were pleasantly surprised at at the at the data at the long-term effectiveness of teaching people that they didn't need recovery yeah teaching people (laughs) they could move past both addiction and recovery i mean it's it's really remarkable and so so for a little while though in the early 2000s we we were kind of still trying to be um all things to all people all things to all people except your dad yeah he never was from day one that dude was he was trying to get rid of the big book for at least five years prior to when I emotionally was willing to let it go. Yeah, and he would he would mention it monthly and be at our monthly meetings. He'd be like, "We should just disband this. We should get rid of the fellowship. We should stop meetings." And and I'm like, "No, we can't. We can't. We can't." Just because I was scared. Yeah, because it's you all know? we knew. Yeah, it's so so. But but we did eventually. The truth. One of the things that we always cared about was the truth. And when Jerry presented all the data, and I was doing a lot of the data collection too. I was making the phone calls. And I was I was yeah. working with you at that stuff. It, it's it's impossible to ignore when you the, the stark differences between how well people did when they just moved on with their lives and how much they struggled when they stayed within the little bubble. That we had created. Yeah inadvertently created we were we were talking about the fact that AA didn't work and we were recreating AA yeah it was really I mean it, with better look at with with better messaging you know we don't of course we people aren't powerless we they dad threw that out before I even arrived that's right before you I know? arrived really. yeah so so you know that just saying to people to people that you they're not broken that you can you have the power and capabilities to change and your to mind choose. yeah and to choose what you want for your life um was was empowering and freeing for a lot of people that's all they really needed a lot of people oh my god it was revolutionary because mm-hmm. the whole aa paradigm was that you had no power right no power and choice no free will no, you, you know no mind yeah uh, self-knowledge can't fix it 
I mean, these were all things that your dad rallied against from day one. He was like, that's fucking nuts. That's just <laughs> right, nuts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess the way we started this was because, and I knew this would go by fast because we yeah. start talking about this. Um, the way we started this was saying, you know, if you try to be all things to all people, you're going to end up helping no one. That's right. Really, because you really don't stand for anything. And, and it's difficult as it is for me and it's stressful and anxiety provoking that I find being kind of out there on my own. Um, it helps me to sleep at night to do it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Of course it does. I think that when you do stand for something, um, you can go to bed knowing you did the absolute right thing for that day. Yeah. And, and here's the deal when, during all the years of figuring this out, literally what this entire process actually was, was clearing away all the mistakes and lies that Bill Wilson had created. And, and mm. so, so our process was painful, but liberating. Yes. So every time we tossed out a, a falsity, a myth, a mysticism, replacing it with a fact or something that was effective, it was like a huge piece of the puzzle. You know, yeah. you, you'd be like, I feel really good about this. And I just knew that eventually, eventually we would know the full truth. And that's when 27 years later, after all the work had been done, we were able to publish uh, the Freedom Model. I was able to articulate to Steve, who was really the technical writer on the book, Yes. And say, Steve, this is what I'm trying to say. Can you say it for me, please? Because he's a much better writer than I am. And he he got it. He understood it because he understood the history. He was there with us. He was there. He was there right at the turning points of when the big theories about the positive drive principle, free will, autonomy were, were being fleshed out. And he's a really great researcher. So all the pieces of the puzzle started to, to fit. And now... We don't, we can sit there and say just about anything because without any blowback. And the reason is because there's no blood in the water because we're absolutely self-assured that these things are true because we lived it. We yes. lived the pain of walking out of all of it. This isn't some esoteric theory. This is, I lived with my guests for 12 years. Michelle was there for years and years and years. Jer was there for 12 years. Steve was there. Ryan was there. We were there with the people making the mistakes living with the mistakes, and then correcting them. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. So so when you hear us talk about, um, you know, I know in uh, our last episode, we, we, you know, we talked about harm reduction. We talked about these other, th these things. Um, it, we have to be unequivocal in the truth. We have to say the truth because that's our mission, our mission is to tell people that they're that they can be okay, that they're free, and um and you can't allow even allow for any of the nonsense that people are out of control or powerless, you know, and and so so coming out of all of that, um, there there I'm not sure there's anybody else that is as unequivocal as we are about this. No, I don't I don't think there is because. I'm not sure there are people that are willing to take that initial heat. Yeah. Now, here's what's beautiful about this. We're past all that. Yeah. So now, because when somebody comes to us at the retreat, it's a quiet, 
wonderful experience because yeah. all that work is done. Yeah. So the person can get an incredibly clean version of all that experience. So when I'm teaching a class, when Michelle's teaching a class, when Danny Wyke is teaching a class, when Steve is whoever, they're absolutely self-assured and, and they understand what they're talking about, yeah. you know, and they understand because they've lived it. And now we have Daniel Plorge, Matthew Sparks. They're involved uh, with us with Freedom Model Private Instruction. They're being trained to be certified with us. Um, so now we're, we're in the process of, of really getting people involved. And, uh, and all of these people have had massive experience of being uh, alongside or in the, in the system. Yeah. yeah. And have walked out already. And then they found the Freedom Model and they're like, yes, that's what I want. That's what happened to me too. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about going through what we went through. We can teach you in three weeks, which took what took me 27 years to figure out. Yeah. You can get it in three to four weeks, yeah. which is amazing. It's amazing. Whether you come here to the retreat or if you if you do uh, private instruction, it takes about six to eight weeks to get through the full thing. If you go on the, the online program, uh it's you, you can do it as quick as you want. I mean, it's about 25 hours of video, 25 to 30 hours of video. So you could do it as fast as you want on there. Yeah, you have all the information or you just read the book. Yeah. You know, um, it all depends on how you learn best. But it's all been done for you. The pain, all that. We, we, we paid that price for you. And, you, don't, you don't have to pay And that you price. don't have to stand alone because there is a greater and greater community of people. First of all, you need to know that the number one way people overcome an, an addiction is to do it on their own and just move on with their lives. So there are literally millions of people. Hundreds because of millions. Because when you think about it, one in three and a half people, one in three to four people at some point struggled with a substance right. use problem. So so you're in a room with 10 people and three or four people have overcome the problem and moved on with their lives. That's the reality of it. And most of them did it exactly that way. They just got on with things. So you don't have to feel alone about this. Um, if you're leaving the recovery world, the, the vast majority of people aren't in recovery. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, and and also, you know, you have these podcasts. You you can um, get on Facebook and you know join our little social media pages and things like that. Yep, that's um, the the Freedom Model group and the Freedom Model. Yep. The page. So so know that if you if you want to leave recovery, if you are ready to get on with your life. Um, you are in good company because the vast majority of people don't stay in recovery. That's right. That's where we're going to end it. <laughs> all right. Thank you. And all right. I felt like I had to qualify. Don't stay in recovery. Doesn't mean they go back to active heavy use. <laughs> don't get stuck. It means they just move on with their lives. That's right. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you found our show informative and entertaining. If you or someone you love is struggling with a substance use problem or any other habitual behavior problem, and you'd like to talk to one of us, you can call 1-888-424-2626 to get detailed information about all of our products and services, including our books, our retreat, uh, private instruction via video conference, and our online program, which consists of more than 65 video lessons. Go to thefreedommodel.org. 
To get a free digital copies of the Freedom Model for Addictions and the Freedom Model for the Family, go to thefreedommodel.org and enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout. Those books are both also available um, on Amazon. You can, and, and our uh, audio book of the Freedom Model for Addictions is available now on Amazon and Audible. Um, the Freedom Model for the Family audio book will be ready by the end of January. Um, follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. You can join our fri- private Facebook group, the Freedom Model Group, where we discuss the Freedom Model and how people can completely move past both addiction and recovery. You can join us every other Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, where we answer questions from our readers, our students, our podcast listeners, and group members live on our Freedom Model Facebook page, as well as our YouTube channel. There are a couple ways you can contact us. You can contact us by email, info at thefreedommodel.org. You can private message us through Facebook and Instagram or call 1-888-424-2626. From everyone here at the Freedom Model and the St. Jude Retreat, we wish you well until next time.